at Restituto. Comes up to the pocket. Fire to the right side. Caught by Diggs. Stay up. Oh, oh my God. Oh, my God. Welcome to the rest up on this Thursday, our first podcast of July. It is July 8th, 2021. I'm Brad Restituto. Spencer Ostrovsky joins me as always. And a uh, really good show of, of sports for you tonight. It's been uh, a little over a week since we had our last podcast. So uh, if you're joining us live, make sure you join us every time we're on Tuesdays and Thursdays, twitch.tv slash Chris Landry football. Also at Brad the Believer on Twitter and Brad Restituto on Facebook, and Brad the Believer on YouTube. Like and subscribe to the channel there. And uh, really great basketball tonight. Uh, before we get to that, I hope everyone had a good 4th of July. Um, talked to Spence a little bit before we came on here. Uh, he was doing a lot of work on the 4th. I, I stayed in for the most part. Uh, saw some fireworks at the end. So we're, we're more than halfway through 2021, everyone. So it, this year is flying by, and I can't believe – uh, we're almost done with 2021. That's absolutely insanity to me. So I hope everyone's enjoying the first half of 2021 and to a great second half as we've put uh, the COVID 2020 in the rear view and we're trying to fight off these COVID variants and get back to as much normalcy as we can here in this country. So cheers to everyone out there. Thanks for joining us tonight on the rest stop. A fantastic basketball game in the NBA Finals. Game two from Phoenix. Phoenix uh, took the victory. 118-108, not without a lot of resistance from the Bucs tonight. The Bucs played outstanding in the second half, I thought. I thought they played very hard. Giannis played a really nice game, except for some of his shot selection from the three-point line, but he shot it well from the free-throw line. Drew Holiday struggled a little bit. I thought he was very impactful defensively, had two big blocks, two big steals. Just a lot of buckets did not fall in the paint for Drew Holiday. So you see, statistically, he didn't shoot a very good percentage. He finished 7 of 21 from the field, 17 points. Uh, but like I said, I thought he was very good defensively. Just a lot of shots didn't fall from him in the paint. And a lot of that was good contesting from Phoenix. Uh, on the Phoenix side, Devin Booker led the way with 31 points, but the X factor was Mikhail Bridges. He was outstanding in the first half. He closed with 8 of 8 from the free throw line, 3 of 9 from 3. I believe most of those threes were in the first half. He was outstanding in the first half. He finished with 27 points, seven rebounds. Uh, Chris Paul got off to a slow start but came around in the second half, finished 10 to 20 from the field, 23 points, eight assists, and, of course, controlled the flow of the game in the first and second half at the point guard position. Drew Holiday was playing a lot of press defense, really covering him from full court most of the game. Uh, a really hard-fought effort by both teams and uh, campaign only played 10 minutes, but he was, even though statistically he wasn't very effective, the pace of play uh, was heightened in the 10 minutes that he played. And Phoenix had to hold off a bunch of second-half runs for Milwaukee. If you watched the broadcast, you saw 7-0 run Milwaukee, 8-0 run Milwaukee. Phoenix answered back with a 7-0, 8-0 run. So a really uh, hard-fought game uh, from both teams. And really, it was going to be an important game for Phoenix because to give Milwaukee the momentum and how good they are at home, uh, splitting this series was going to be really big. So Phoenix did their job 
and held home court, and they'll be going to Milwaukee on Sunday for game three. Uh, I, I, we've talked about the Phoenix Suns all season. Really well-coached Monty Williams, well-led Chris Paul, Devin Booker, one of the young superstars, and the contributions of Mikael Bridges and the way De- uh, DeAndre Ayton stepped up in these playoffs has been phenomenal. Uh, didn't jump off the stat sheet tonight, 10 points, 11 rebounds, but some timely buckets and rebounds in the second half. And really, for me, uh, some really timely plays. When Milwaukee had the lead cut eight or six with around six minutes left, four minutes left, Phoenix had some big plays on the offensive rebounds, second chance opportunities, and some timely shot making for the Phoenix Suns that helped them stave off the comeback from the Milwaukee Bucks. And overall, guys, and Spence jump in here in a minute, I think the Phoenix Suns are a better shot-making team. Will that win them this series? That's yet to be determined, but it certainly got them off to a 2-0 lead, and it makes them, in my opinion, the favorite. They are the betting favorite and, of course, a prohibited favorite up 2 to nothing. But they just make uh, – they're just better shot-makers all around. They're better from the free-throw line. So who you trust late in situations, you've got to trust the Phoenix Suns. I mean – Milwaukee had a great effort tonight. Uh, Pat Connaughton hit some hit some nice shots, four of nine from three, but missed a couple in the fourth quarter. Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton was five of sixteen. We know these guys are really inconsistent. Like I said, Giannis stood out; he was outstanding. His second game back from the knee injury that really missed him most of the series against Atlanta. He was eleven of eighteen, like I said, from the free throw line. He was outstanding tonight. A couple plays he seemed bang up, banged up. Uh, but I just don't know that Milwaukee has the depth to overcome Phoenix in this series. Uh, they're going to need Giannis to have performances like this the rest of the series, and they're going to need Middleton and Holiday to make more shots, which they should be able to do at home. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me in the least, Spence, if this series goes back to Phoenix tied up to, tied up at two. Um, I do like Phoenix to win the series, uh, but a really hard-fought game tonight, and I thought very entertaining to watch. Yeah, no, this was a great finals game. I enjoyed it very much. Uh, although viewership is like down fifty percent from the twenty eighteen finals with LeBron and the cat in the uh, not and the Cavaliers against the Warriors. But uh, yeah, I mean, you touched on it, and those are the two biggest things for me is the fact that Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, as long as they play like this, they can't win. I mean, they're not a super deep team, in my opinion. I mean, they barely went to their bench. Pat Connington, he was five of ten, so it was you know decent enough. But I feel like statues don't tell at all. Like basketball is very contextual in all facets. And that starts with, uh, you know, Pat Conton missing some bad shots. Missing some bad shots in the fourth quarter. And also when you look at Giannis's uh, free throws, I mean, it, it looks really bad. But I, I thought about this more. And I feel like, of course, you want Giannis to make all his free throws if you're a Bucks fan. But the fact that he gets so many offensive rebounds and fouled off of those, I mean, those are possessions that wouldn't exist if Giannis didn't exist, if that makes sense. Like, guys just don't get rebounds like he does and put them back up. So it's about playing well in the most important moments. And right now, look, Chris Middleton hasn't been good, and he was below 33% tonight. But the way that Drew Holiday is playing is just like a net negative. I know he's been good on defense, but I'll never, like, I'll almost never forget this. In game one, he uh, fakes someone on a three-point line, and you know, he got the defender to jump. So he goes into the lane, which is probably fine, right? I mean, he could have faked it, stepped to the side, and hit a wide-open three. But okay, that's fine. You want to put some more pressure on the defense. But there's two defenders there, and he runs right into them and turns off the ball, and they get a wide-open basket on the other end. It's like mentally he's not there. 
And the other, other like big note that I've seen throughout this series is the fact that Milwaukee is obsessed with switching everything. I mean, that's what almost got the Clippers killed in the Dallas series is that you can pick match up, matchups. I think Brooke Lopez could work because it feels like he's getting killed out there. And to a certain extent, he is. That's because he constantly finds himself out on the perimeter against Chris Paul and Devin Booker. I can't count how many like threes have been made over him, but it's not really his fault. I mean, that's his size. If DeAndre Ayton found himself in that situation on the other end, he'd be killed too. And I just don't think Milwaukee gets it very well. Giannis did have a nice game, but they constantly feed Giannis the ball with DeAndre Ayton posting up on him like a traditional center. To me, that just that's just not the way that you should do it. That's not putting enough pressure on the Phoenix defense. Also, it allows uh, the Phoenix to get out on a lot of transition shots when he misses because Giannis is then under the basket. DeAndre Ayton is under the basket, meaning your guards can push forward. And when you see it on the other end and you see uh, Brooke Lopez so far out, I mean, you're just giving away opportunities. So, uh, again, I don't think the series is over. I agree with you. I think Milwaukee will be just fine as long as they can kind of uh, make some adjustments, which Bootenholzer hasn't been great with. But he's been decent enough. He won them that Brooklyn series. Uh, kind of. Uh, but I think they're going to have to make a lot of uh, fundamental changes, which is hard to do this late in the season, but the great teams do it. Spent some missed opportunities tonight for Milwaukee. Uh, they got off to an 8-2 to two start in the first quarter. They outscored uh, the Phoenix Suns by three in the first, but really probably should have been more. Uh, Chris Paul, uncharacteristically, six turnovers tonight for Phoenix. You're unlikely to get that again from him the rest of this series. So to not take advantage of, of some opportunities tonight, by Milwaukee is, is important. I mean, look, we're in the NBA Finals. You, every every possession is important. Every free throw, every moment, every loose ball. So to not take advantage of six Chris Paul turnovers and really Giannis came out on fire for Milwaukee. And Milwaukee plays well from ahead. So they really had an opportunity to open up that game in the first quarter and they let uh, Mikel Bridges knock down some threes and they let Phoenix stick around. And when Phoenix stuck around, they ended up getting some momentum from the home crowd. Booker started hitting shots, some tough shots. They're tough shot makers on this team for Phoenix. So when you let them stick around and you really didn't build up that double digit lead in the first quarter, uh, I knew it was going to be a close game. And then in the second quarter, of course, the Phoenix Suns outscored Milwaukee 30 to 16. And, and from there, it was an uphill battle for, for, for Milwaukee. And they made some runs, like I said, in the second half, but it wasn't enough to overcome Phoenix tonight. Uh, and Chris Paul's fantastic. Devin Booker, Mikel Bridges was great. He was money from the free throw line. And it's tough. I heard a stat during the game, Spence, when the Phoenix Suns hold a double-digit lead during these playoffs or 12-0. So tonight would bring that to 13-0. Their clutch free throw shooting and their big shot makers help uh, that record be flawless. And this is the type of team – uh, that that is built to win this year, and, and in my opinion, probably built uh, to continue to compete if they continue to get depth uh, on this ball club and they re-sign Chris Paul. But I, I like the mixture of young and veteran. I love Monty Williams as the coach. And look, they're two games away from hoisting the, the Larry O'Brien Trophy for the first time ever in, in the franchise history of the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, and uh, just when I talked about like stats being contextual, I think the game is as well. When, I, when Milwaukee got close, I feel like they didn't really understand. I felt like they thought, oh, we have to close this right now or it's never going to happen ever again. And I think that's where they get caught. That's where they end up start playing really loose. There was one Pat Connaughton three from the left wing um, or the left wing three, and he just bricked it. It was just too quick, and they were within six points. I think slowing the game down actually favors Milwaukee a lot. Uh, I know that Phoenix certainly is effective in the half court, but it's – 
they are able to take advantage of <laughs> they're able to take advantage of Milwaukee being out of place on defense so much. At times they look confused, and I think that starts with the philosophy of switching and everything. Guys aren't looking for matchups, they're looking for zones, and that's and Phoenix just loves that. And they've I think they've been dominating there. Spence, let's talk about Chris Paul specifically and um, his, his possible legacy. I've got to tell you, a buddy of mine, Dave Deneen, a big basketball guy, uh, played college hoops, uh, very knowledgeable of the game, uh, is not a big fan of six-foot-and-under point guards. And uh, many years ago, told me Chris Paul was one of the more overrated point guards in the league. So I always had that in the back of my mind watching Paul play. But uh, in this situation over the years, I'm going to have to disagree with my friend because uh, – Chris Paul has proven to me uh, and sustained this. What he did in Oklahoma City was amazing. What he's done with Phoenix uh, is unmatchable. And his opportunity to hoist the trophy for the first time and be a champion uh, and still play at this high level at this point in his career, he certainly moved up this list. I don't know exactly where I put him, Spence, but he's absolutely in the discussion as one of the top three to five point guards ever to play the game. And I love watching what he's doing. His basketball IQ is superior. Uh, his mid-range game, uh, you can't even really begin to describe his basketball IQ and how important it is and his decision-making and and where he can get to spots and how we can get other people open. The little things he does. Spence, tonight, he saved an inbound pass, or not an inbound pass, he saved an out-of-bounds play and made a wraparound pass to Jay Crowder for a mid-range shot. That was a key possession, and how he was able to keep that ball from going out of bounds or keep his feet from not going out of bounds was sensational. I mean, that's something that not a lot of people will talk about, the little things that he does. Uh, yes, he turned the ball over six times tonight, which is uncharacteristic, but, man, the guy in key moments and key possessions is just money. And six feet or under or not, uh, the guy certainly is in the conversation of top point guards ever. It will certainly cement his legacy if they can win – uh, an NBA title, the first ever in franchise history, as we mentioned for Phoenix. Uh, it'll be certainly satisfying for this guy to get his first ever championship uh, with the young guys around him. I, I, I talked with Dave Perry a little bit through text. Uh, he's on the chat here uh, before earlier today about Chris Paul's legacy. He, he's a big fan of Chris Paul's. I definitely think it's going to be, you know, a little important <laughs> whether he wins the series or not. I, I think having that, uh, kind of star next to his name makes a huge deal when you talk about the legacy of Chris Paul, especially at this point in his career. Uh, so I think if they do hold on and win this series and he wins the title, a uh, gold medalist Olympian, you know, certainly first ballot Hall of Famer, I think this guy certainly moves up the list and is in the conversation of the top three. What are your thoughts, Spence? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like we get so caught up in the moment and we want to like put guys so high up there, especially after uh, Kevin Durant's performance. Like suddenly he was the greatest player of all time. <laughs> I think you got to let him breathe a little bit. Not to say that you, to diminish what they're doing right now, but a lot of uh, our opinions are formed like on memories, I guess. And, you know, really when we sit back and look at it, because if you look at the broadcast today, you'll think that every single shot, because it was scored at 5 p.m. or 5.12 and no one's ever shot that well at 5 30 in the afternoon like all these kinds of crazy stats so i think it all gets caught up in our mind we're like oh wow did you know that this was the only guy in the third quarter because he saw it in the broadcast but no without a doubt look i mean this guy has been getting it done for a long time and i've been thinking like what is different i guess about this year for chris paul versus the rest of his career because it feels like he's been able to do this for a really long time and part of it could be the clippers because 
I also looked at Blake Griffin in this postseason and the way he contributed. Look, he'll never be able to be what he was, but certainly you can see certain flashes where it feels like that's the kind of guy who you could win a championship with. And maybe it's because they didn't have enough all, you know, everywhere else. I'm not sure. But this is the first time I think Chris Paul has ever played on a real, gen- like, genuine team. There was always drama, even though the Clippers are a much smaller franchise than the Lakers, and they're always kind of in that shadow. It was still very Hollywood. It was still very L.A., where uh, DeAndre was having issues with him at the time. There was some beef with Blake Griffin. And all you hear from the Phoenix side is how much they appreciate and like Chris Paul. I never really got that sen- uh, sentiment in L.A., and I guess even in Houston, like he kind of, they turned against him a lot of the times. And I think he takes that very personally. And I think his mood kind of affects the way he plays on the court. So now that he plays with Phoenix, he's got a great medical staff, but all of his teammates adore him. I think he really feeds off of that. And it's pretty evident from this year's playoffs, the confidence, the confidence that he's playing with. Basically, we've never seen him like this before, like almost in his entire career, not even in the regular season. Like what? You know, like what he's doing right now is amazing. So, Spence, let's let's eliminate this year. Let's act like Chris Paul did not play at all this season. When you talked about Chris Paul before this season, what was he to you, or or in the discussions of your ba- basketball friends and, and and media? What is what was Chris Paul in the discussion eliminating this year completely? Yeah, I've always appreciated the guy. So he was always like pretty much at the top of my list whenever I've seen him play. I've been lucky enough to see him play every once in a while. I mean, his mid-range game is is just unbelievable. The way, the feel he has for the game. And, uh, you know, Steph probably takes that top spot, you could say. But Chris Paul wasn't far behind. Tony Parker was also kind of in that range. I'm I'm still not sure how I feel about that. I want to see a few more years because, I mean... (laughs) I hate to do this because it seems to be so popular on Twitter to like uh, say like this is a fake trophy, but he has had the advantage of a lot of injuries. Maybe not in this uh, series, obviously looking at Giannis, he looks pretty healthy right now. So, I mean, I think this will kind of quiet that conversation, but next year when everyone does feel like they're a lot healthy and if he's able to do this kind of again, then he goes like really high on my list. As of right now, it's hard to, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I haven't seen a lot of historical basketball, and uh, I think that's where a lot of the problem for the conversation with my generation is and, and putting him somewhere. It's like, I can look up highlight tapes, and but those are only the good parts. Like, I'm going to talk about LeBron because I watched him, like, almost every day growing up. I saw a lot of the nuanced moments. I saw him at his best. I saw him at his worst. And you just can't get that out of a 15-minute highlight reel clip. I'll, at the very least, I'll say, like, from when I started watching basketball, Chris Paul probably is the best. Yeah, Spence, uh, it's really hard. You know, I was able to watch Magic Johnson in the 80s and 90s a little bit. He, of course, he's in that conversation. Oscar Robertson, who was before my time, won a title with Milwaukee, their only title, uh, of course, is, is a historic player that's beloved and in the conversation with guys. But the guys you mentioned uh, in our lifetime, also a little before your time, Isaiah Thomas, who won uh, back-to-back titles with the bad boy Pistons. Uh, he was phenomenal. Got to watch him play a little bit. But Steph Curry has certainly changed the game, and he's a multi-time champion, MVP, finals MVP. Uh, Chris Paul, man, but he he has really perfected that mid-range game, and to do it at this point in his career, battling injury a, a lot of years, I give the guy a lot of credit. It's just fun to watch. I know there's a lot of arguments, and we've talked about it here, Spence, about the NBA game and the product and the talent now compared to a decade ago or more 
Uh, I still think the talent is outstanding. And I, I, I know the Phoenix Suns have had uh, the fortune of having some some players banged up. Of course, Kawhi Leonard and, and some other players throughout the series, Anthony Davis and the likes. But to me, the Phoenix Suns have absolutely earned this. They swept through Denver, even though there was no Jamal Murray. Denver was playing well at the end of the season. Uh, they've taken care of business, even though they fought hard. The Clippers, they did their job and went up 2-0 on them and they closed the door on them when they had to. This this will not be an easy series. They'll have to overcome adversity again, but they've done it throughout this playoff. So it's going to be very fun to watch Spence the rest of the way. Look, we got two superstars uh, trying to build on their legacy. I mean, is there no better time ever for Giannis to win an NBA title than this year? And he's in the finals. This is his shot. And Chris Paul sees his window closing. This is his shot. So one of these guys will hoist that Larry O'Brien trophy and be a first-time champion. Will it be Paul? Will it be Giannis? Well, Chris Paul's only two games away. Giannis has still got a little bit of an uphill battle to fight. Uh, this is the rest stop. We are live here on Tuesday, on Thursday. We're here July 8th from Las Vegas. Make sure that you subscribe to the YouTube channel, Brad the Believer, uh, and twitch.tv is where we broadcast this podcast live uh, from 9 to 10 o'clock Tuesday and Thursday. Spence, let's jump into the NBA draft a little bit. It's coming up at the end of the month here in July. Uh, we've seen the parity in the NBA. We've got two teams uh, that have not appeared in the NBA Finals in many decades now competing uh, for an NBA title. We we know teams are closing in and injuries can change things on a dime. So this draft is really going to be important for teams to try to build that foundation to get themselves in the mix. Dave, of course, a big Magic fan. I'm from Orlando. Uh that team has a couple lottery picks. They're trying to build a foundation to be a playoff contender in the future. Detroit has the number one overall pick. Spence, talk a little bit about the top five in this draft. And is there any guys that are going to come in and contribute right away to help these teams uh, be in the conversation? It was only a couple short seasons ago that the Phoenix Suns drafted number one overall in a really talented draft that had Trey Young, had Luka Doncic, but it's DeAndre Ayton the number one overall pick in that draft combined with superstar Devin Booker and Chris Paul that now have the Phoenix Suns in the NBA Finals. So what player could we be looking at from this draft that could possibly propel that franchise where in two or three years we're talking about them as a playoff contender? Yeah, I don't, I don't want to give up my early pick last year because I feel like I'm, I have high expectations for myself after picking you know, one of the best sleepers in the draft. Yes, I you have did, one, Spence. I have one player in, my, in mind. I'll, I'll give it out now, but it's not official – but uh, the one thing I think sticks out the most for me in the NBA draft, and I think it's crazy that you can still bet this, is who's going to be the first overall pick. It's Cade Cunningham, and today cemented that for me 100,000%. So the Cavs or the Detroit Pistons supposedly are thinking about trading up to the first overall pick or trading away the first overall pick, which means they're not sure about drafting Cade Cunningham, and a lot of teams are. And clearly, I mean, that's what you want. That's the only guy, in my opinion, worth actually trading so high up there for. And uh, Cade Cunningham is a, a Luka Doncic type of player. He had like a 24% usage rating at Oklahoma, which is a number that you basically just don't see in the NBA. It'll actually be interesting to see like what team drafts him and if they do kind of go the Luka Doncic route where he is such a high usage or if they try to implement him in some sort of offense. I'm not sure. But as I'm looking at this Bleacher Report uh, mock draft, I'll go through and give my brief thoughts on the top five. So number two, they have the Houston Rockets selecting Jalen Green. Uh, he's a good scorer. He's got, uh, you know, I mean, he he was in the, the G League for a long time. But 
I don't know. I, I'm going to wait to see with him. I mean, he's so fast and you kind of, you know, like that out of a draft prospect, obviously, and that can project forward. And I was a, actually not a big fan of Anthony Edwards going into the draft. I feel like they're a little similar, but he's a little more of that forward position, really high hops. Uh, number three, they have the Cleveland Cavaliers selecting Evan Mobley. So here's the thing, right? I think if the Houston Rockets were smart, they would say, no Jalen Green. I think we're fine. Let's build an actual foundation because the hot ticket item, you know, when Golden State won their title, every bad team thought that's the only way you can win in basketball. We got to get perimeter oriented. We got to get a bunch of shooters. But that's how you end up with the Cleveland Cavaliers in that they drafted um, Colin Sexton, obviously, who's okay, but nothing to me is a bench, a six man, like who should be scoring off of the bench. And then Darius Garland, who I was just never a fan of either. But because, because he could score, okay, that's what we need to do. Neither of them can play defense, which is really bad. So, which brings me back to my point of the Houston Rockets. Look, they don't have a lot going on for them. Uh, I think uh, Jay Sean Tate was actually a pretty good pick for them. He ended up having a really good year. But Christian Wood is their most valuable piece. John Wall is going to be on the team for the next three years or whatever his contract ends up going towards, which is fine. Here's the thing about bad franchises. They're always in a rush for absolutely no reason. If you know you're not going to make the playoffs in the next three years, just do things right. Just eat John Wall's contract and keep acquiring high draft picks. If you can get Christian Wood and who I think they should draft second, which is Evan Mobley, I think you're putting yourself in a massive advantage. Look, you can say, oh, they're not going to be able to switch and everything. I don't think you have to, and I don't think the Phoenix Suns do either. You rarely see DeAndre Ayton like Brooke Lopez out in the perimeter like that. So it's based on the way that you design your team. So, And Christian Wood and him I think would be a great pairing. I mean, that's just dominant paint presence. What, whatever you dominate in, that's what you can be good at in the NBA. Everything else is going to have to figure itself out, but they're not going to be able to figure it out in one offseason. I'll tell you that right now. And that's what Detroit tried to do last year in a very mediocre draft, in my opinion. But with Evan Mobley, I mean, this is a – to me, he's a Clint Capella type, although they say he can extend his range out a little farther, which is really great. But I think he's going to project and be a really good center. And I think he's going to be really popular because of DeAndre Ayton. I think his stock has risen because of that in the NBA finals. And that kind of stuff is really important for general managers on bad teams. And then after that, oh, sorry, you're going to say something. No, Spence, I was going to, I want you to keep that thought, but I want to ask you a question about a team that, of course, of course, post LeBron James, the Cleveland Cavaliers, you mentioned some of their pieces. I like some of the guys they have. Um, you mentioned Garland, uh, but they acquired Jared Allen at the center position. Um, yeah. They've got Colin Sexton. Uh, I still, I still think they have Larry Nance Jr., which I think is a solid player. Uh, I think they've got a few pieces, and I know they were competitive at the beginning of the season this year, and then they kind of fell off. Is there somebody in the top five that they can get that that'll increase their win rate? By five wins, is there someone that'll be a perfect fit for Cleveland? I do like some of the pieces I have. If you're Cleveland, though, Spence, is is there a couple guys in, in, on that roster you would move on from to try to acquire uh, future picks? In my opinion, uh, they should do everything they can to get Cade Cunningham. I'm a big fan of Isaac. Isaac Acor, I actually put him, uh, I bet some money on him to win Rookie of the Year, average 18 points per game in the last month of this season. So I think he's a really good sound uh, foundational piece. Jared Allen, I mean, I'm a big fan of as well. I kind of forgot about him on the team. Colin Sexton and Darius Carlin are expendable for me. I don't see them being on the team very long term, nor do I think I could see them leading some sort of playoff push. 
if you can trade Darius Garland and their pick and maybe even another first round pick, I would be willing to do that to move on. You put Colin Sexton in the sixth man of the year and you put Cade Cunningham at their point guard position. Now you're starting to build something again. I think that may decrease their win total next year, but that matters so little. I can't think of anything else. So if you have Cade Cunningham, Isaac Okoro and Allen, that's the foundation you want, not Colin Sexton, Darius Garland and Jaron Allen. That's going to get you nowhere. That's my advice to the Cleveland Cavaliers. And you still got guys on the roster, Kevin Love, and uh, like I said, um, Larry Nance Jr., who I think, if he stays healthy, is, is a key contributor on that team. Spence, you were uh, before I interrupted you there, you were going to continue on uh, in the top five there. Yeah, so just two more picks here, and I think uh, these are pretty set in stone, although it gets a little shaky at this point, right? But I think Jalen Suggs will be in there, and Bleacher Report does have him at the fourth overall pick. This guy reminds me a lot of Tony Parker for some reason. He doesn't have the shooting ability, but I think like those are the things I think you can develop because I don't think his jump shot is really bad. Now, if someone has a really bad foundation, it's just not going to work out. Like uh, I can't think of the guy's name. He played for Charlotte. He was really good defensively, played for quite some time. But anyways, uh, he's a, a really good team player. He's a great passer. He's the best facilitator from the point guard well, I guess Kate Cunningham probably would take that. Let's say the smartest passer in this year's draft, probably the highest basketball IQ. Uh, but look, his scoring ability leaves a lot to be desired. So you have to kind of weigh that for your franchise. And I'm not sure the Toronto Raptors should be all that interested in drafting a point guard. Although I guess Kyle Lowry is leaving. And I actually think this guy could be a lot like Kyle Lowry too. Uh, so he seems to fit their system pretty well. We'll see how interested they are in uh, Fred Van Vliet really taking on that point guard position, or if they like him kind of being a scoring two guard. Uh, maybe they think he can develop into something something else. But after that, it really feels like it falls off a little bit here. So, you know, I, I'm a contributor for fan side at Orlando Magic Daily, and uh, Bleach Report has them taking Jonathan Kuminga fifth overall. And to me, like, that's <laughs> between Jalen Suggs and after that, like, that's a big difference. So, Having the fifth and eighth pick, and the Bleach Report has an eighth, them taking Davian Mitchell, who's like kind of the sleeper guy who I like so far in this year's draft, but I want to do a lot more studying on him. This is not good for Orlando to have the fifth and eighth pick because <laughs> I think it leaves them in a really awkward spot. Yeah. They're the team that should package literally anything they can do to get the first overall pick. And fifth and eight is enticing. No, not every year you have two picks in the top 10. That's very rare. And you know, decently valuable. If Cleveland, if, uh, you know, Detroit really believes or they wanted like, okay, we like the foundation. If we can add just two more pieces in the top 10, we feel like we can kind of get that starting lottery five. I'd believe something like that because Detroit is just so bad in the way they're run. And it's just kind of embarrassing the way their team is. So I feel like they'd be dumb enough to trade their first overall pick, especially if they're interested in doing so. And what better team can have a package than if they do their scouting right or Detroit Fields are doing the scouting right, then having two picks in the top 10, which even leaves you flexible if you want to trade back or something. We know the GM is very active and he's willing to do these kinds of things. But as I'm looking and thinking about Orlando, look, no one is truly important on this team for me. Like I'm a huge fan of RJ Hampton. I've been, I wrote articles about him that like the day I joined as a writer for them. I feel like he could be the starting point guard for them, but it's not that I don't like Jonathan Kaminga, but this is a team that had the worst like team field goal percentage in the league last year, and he's not going to help them. This guy's a defensive wing, and he reminds me a lot of Jonathan Isaac, who I also like, but he's not going to help them like in the future. The way their team's currently constructed, they need guys who can create for themselves. Yeah, you can't win 90 to 87 games and, and win the NBA Finals anymore. 
Yeah, no, no doubt. So um, I think Kumiga can find a good home. I think actually Oklahoma City would be a really great place for him to be there. They always seem to do well with those athletic forwards, but they need one guy to lead their team. Like they, Orlando, in my opinion, I, I don't even know. Like everyone seems to disagree with him with me on this one, but they made a mistake signing Markel Fultz to such a big deal. He's not a $20 million per player a year. So I hope they don't feel tied down that they have to give him a chance to that starting role. I think he can come off the bench. He seems to be decently able to create for himself, but he can't shoot the basketball. He still can't. And I don't think he ever will. And I don't think that's the role in his team's going to be. Cole Anthony, again, is one of those six man of the year scores. So I think if you can go forward with your franchise thinking, you know, giving RJ Hampton that potential starting role, Jonathan Isaac obviously is basically the only important player. I think everyone else can be seen as pieces. And then the center position, I mean, if, even if they can trade up to second, having Mobley and you can trade, uh, you know, uh, Wendell Carter, you can keep him come off the bench. I think either of those options are fine. And then you can trade Mobamba for something p- potentially valuable. Now you're talking about something. Jonathan Isaac and Mobley and RJ Hampton. Now I can start to believe in what you're doing. Right now, they just have a bunch of forwards who can't shoot. And that's not the way you're going to win basketball games. Also, they have to stay far, far away from the mid-range game. And Kuminga is not going to help them do that. I think they're in an awkward spot with a high potential to move forward. That's my evaluation on the fifth pick. Spence, you seem pretty high on Cade Cunningham, uh, number one, and his talent. Uh, like I said earlier uh, in some previous shows, I haven't watched a ton on him, but I did watch a couple of his tournament games and was not impressed with him at all. Spence, tell me what you see with him and why do you think his ceiling's so high and, and guys, teams should possibly be moving up to get him? Yeah, forwards just simply don't have the passing ability that he does. I mean, the only other... I'm not going to say he's Luka Doncic. I don't think he's going to be as good as that. But if it makes sense to say the American version of Luka Doncic, I think that's what you're getting here. A little less efficiency, a little closer to Jason Tatum, but Jason Tatum certainly doesn't have the passing ability as as Cade Cunningham. So maybe somewhere between Luka Doncic and, uh, you know, um, I just said his name. Jason Tatum. Yeah, Jason Tatum. Maybe not skill-wise, but I would say, like, in terms of the way he plays his game, somewhere right in the middle of there. So very high ceiling. A guy wow, who I'd be willing to that's some high praise from Spence. High praise from Spencer the Wiz, and Spence was spot on in his draft evaluation last year. Talking to steal the draft, Tyrese Halliburton, uh, which was first-team all-NBA rookie this past year, so Spence was spot on there. So I'm going to have to take – uh, what he what he says here about Cade Cunningham is gold. I'll try to do some more research, and it'll be fun to follow to see uh, if Spence could go two for two as far as nailing some of the players in the draft, as he did last year, and we'll see what he does this year with some of his insight there. And you can follow Spence on Twitter, at SpencerTheWiz. He also does YouTube channel, Blue Milk Boys Gaming. He does a lot of stuff here locally in Las Vegas, so make sure to follow his stuff and writes uh, as a contributor for the Orlando Magic on their website. Go ahead and plug that one more time, Spence. Yeah, so uh, just go to Orlando Magic Daily. I retweet all my articles. I'm writing one soon, actually. Uh, I know about Kenny Atkinson. He just got hired as an assistant. I know Orlando is like basically reaching the final steps to hire the Dallas assistant as their next head coach. I think that's a very bad sign for the team. Uh, the fact that Kenny Atkinson was not interested in taking that job despite a high potential you know, for success, and I'm going to write about that. Fantastic. That's Spencer Ostrowski, Spencer the Wiz on Twitter. Uh, Spence, let's move over to the NHL because last night uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning were were crowned uh, Stanley Cup champions for the second straight year in the bubble last year uh, in front of their home ice this year in Tampa Bay. They took care of Montreal in impressive fashion, finished 
uh, the series four games to one and one last night, one game to nothing. Uh, Tampa Bay, Spence, uh, fantastic. And to do it back-to-back is very impressive. Uh, I want to tell you what stood out to me, though, and it's actually, actually nothing that had to do with the on-ice play. After the game, Spence, the losing Canadians team all lining up, and this is really traditional in hockey, uh, and just shaking everybody's hand, the coaches, the players, the type of sportsmanship and camaraderie in the NHL is like nothing I've seen in professional sports. And maybe it's just me being being naive, but, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Rarely do I see NHL players and, and the NHL culture uh, getting into uh, off, you know, Twitter battles, beefs, distractions. Man, it's a, b- a bunch of tight knit guys in the NHL, and the type of sportsmanship, man, should really be applauded and looked at uh, as something to to kind of model because it's certainly nothing like we see in the other major sports: basketball, football, and baseball. Uh, the it was a great victory and series and championship for Tampa Bay. But the hockey culture itself, Spence, really kind of stood out to me as I watched that. And it's not something that's uh, foreign, but it's something that maybe should be talked about more as a model uh, of how professionals should carry themselves on this level. Yeah, sure. I, I mean, there is definitely some truth to that. And I think hockey is just a lot more professional as a league, more than most. And maybe that's because we don't pay as much attention to it. So I really do think the me- I think the media eggs on so much of what happens and all of these because people thrive on attention. Like some people do, not everybody. Obviously, not everybody in the NFL is like all big wig and you know creates beef and basketball even more. It's more even more personal because you see their faces for whatever reason that seems to uh, you know push that narrative that we're like talking about people versus in hockey and even in football to a certain extent. You know, they're, they're behind helmets, so it's harder to, like, engage with that. Uh, you know, the bigger NFL stars obviously are able to do that. And uh, But for hockey, I mean, I think these guys just grew up, and you, they have to work so hard to get to where they are. And, you know, there's just a lot of pride in their game. Although it is worth noting after the game, Kucherov was uh, in his postgame conference kind of egged on the Canadians fans saying, you know, making fun of them for how they celebrated in that Game 4 victory in overtime. But, man... I don't really know much. I mean, I just started learning about hockey about two years ago or three years ago. That's when the Golden Knights started. But Kucherov, I'm actually a really big fan of the guy. Like, he really cares about winning the game. He missed, like, the entire season because of injury, and he came in in the playoffs and immediately started dominating. And uh, here, I'm going to read some of his quotes. Uh, They acted the Montreal like they had won the Stanley Cup last game, a shirtless Kucherov, by the way. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Their final was last series. So like that kind of mentality, that is a like cold-blooded winner. I don't even know if I can think of uh, like an analogy to a different sport. Like who is that cutthroat that cares that much about winning? It's like it's almost gone in sports. So it's nice to see. I appreciate guys like that. That's kind of how I carried myself like in college when I played recreational basketball. It's like it's not really about like you personally. It's like it's just the idea of the competitive nature. Like and that's like the ultimate. Spence kind of froze up there, so uh, hopefully we'll get him back here in a second. Um, but he was talking about Kucherov, the Tampa Bay Lightning, and, and just the competitive fire uh, of that squad getting back-to-back Stanley Cup t- titles. Uh, quite impressive. Spence, I think we have you back here. Yep, I'm back. <laughs> All right, did you want to continue that thought? 
I don't. What did I cut off? I'm sorry. I was like, I was. Uh, uh, you were there. talking about uh, Kucherov's uh, cutthroat comments, and then uh, you were talking about rec league uh, basketball. Yeah, college. I was just like, I like to. I love trash talking in college when I played recreational basketball. But like, it's that spirit. It just. It's like not really about the person. It's not like really about even people you're friends with. It's just so fun to get in their face, and I feel like it's gone from like sports for the most part. I think Tom Brady has that to a certain extent. Although it's like more about like profession for him. And uh, LeBron, I think, used to have that, like that famous stare we saw in that Miami Heat game six to avoid elimination from the Celtics that forced at game seven. I think that's long gone. The guy only cares about Space Jam now. <laughs> and other than that, I mean, again, even Chris Paul, I feel like it's more of a competitive or a professional thing. Like this guy, Kucherov, he just loves to play the sport and he loves to beat people at it. It's, it's fun to watch. That's outstanding. The rest stop, 9 to 10 o'clock, Tuesdays and Thursdays. I've uh, been off for a while here, but glad to be back with you here on this July 8th, 2021. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, at Brad the Believer, at Spencer the Wiz. We broadcast the show from there. Also, twitch.tv slash Football. If you miss any part of the show, check out the audio podcast version at any of the podcasting platforms. Landry Football Conference called The Rest Stop will be underneath there. Spence, since we were back on uh, doing the podcast uh, over a week ago, few things have come down in sports. One of them I wanted to discuss, NIL, name, image, likeness in college sports. It's really a game changer uh, on the college level. Now players are able to make uh, some money and put some cash in their pocket off of name, image, likeness. Uh, we have saw here in the Mountain West Conference, because we're here in Las Vegas, in Fresno State women's basketball, the Cavender Twins, um, female basketball players, sophomores, I believe, signed a big deal with Boost Mobile. Their pictures were on Times Square in New York. Uh, we've seen Master P, the famous rapper, popular in the 90s and early 2000s. His son will be playing basketball, signed a $2 million deal. Uh, there's other guys that have signed some big stuff. It really opens up the gates for college players. I just heard today UCLA basketball player Johnny Juzang has taken his name out of this upcoming draft. We'll go back to UCLA. But now there's opportunities for guys to do that, Spence, and it really incentivizes college players as well to maybe go to college and have more guys participate as opposed to the R.J. Hamptons and guys that went straight to overseas or the G League. Now look at this opening up landscape of college sports. In my opinion, college sports was in a dire situation in the middle of COVID, and they were going going to survive, but so many programs had to cut their programs out completely. I, I think this really opens up the floodgates to make college sports really come back to the forefront. It gives big name players incentives to go to college uh, to not only get their education, but they'll be able to make some money. Spence, this is a really big deal. Uh, talk about your thoughts when it came down and, and how much it opens up the entire landscape of college athletics. Yeah, and most importantly, it, we might get some NCAA football games back. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But uh, I think I think this is really great for college athletes. The fact that they basically didn't own their own name in college sports, I mean, it was just nonsense. I mean, that's borderline slavery. And I think Judge Kavanaugh said it best in their Supreme Court ruling, which, you know, right, right after the ruling, the NCAA obviously opened it up on that last Thursday. He said... I mean, this would be illegal in any other industry, and somehow it lasted this long for college. So, I mean, everybody should be able to, you know, profit off their name, especially these big athletes like Zion could have obviously signed huge deals during college basketball. Johnny Menzel, I mean, just even thinking historically, like what these guys would have been able to do for themselves. 
So I think this part is re a really good win for athletes. And plus, the NCAA, it's like how, how much sympathy does anybody have for them? Guys who have protected, you know, child sex offenders, abusers, like all of that. The NCAA does this, allows this to happen all the time. All their internal reviews. So, again, I'm, I'm glad that the, uh, the individual is able to get a little bit of freedom back. The only thought I have, like, past this and that worries me is, like, the next step, right, in paying college athletes like a, a starting quarterback for Tennessee would get not as much money as an NFL quarterback. There obviously just wouldn't be that much money there. There's too many college programs. But I do think that if they don't really think this through and they do want to continue with this, it could be the end of a lot of just college programs. Because if you have to start paying quarterbacks and all of that, and there's no cap on it, like for schools, and even if there is a cap on it, considering they already pay them these scholarships, not all of them, not Alabama, but like you let's say UNOV, for example, I mean, their football program would just be erased. They wouldn't be able to afford a full team at that point. The program struggles enough as it is. So as long as it stays this and it's a, it's not about coming out of like the individual college's pocket and too much of the time, I think we're thinking about Alabama and LSU. I mean, college is so expansive. And uh, I also just don't think that it's going to be really good for a lot of these kids, especially, you know, more on the paid part. If they come in with million dollars early on, it's going to ruin some of these kids' lives. It's going to ruin some of their careers. We'll see. But for now, let's celebrate the win for college uh, athletes all across the nation for being able to actually make money for their own name. Yeah, Spence. Uh, and the, the flip side of that, Spence, we talked about the positive, the corruption side of this, uh, of more boosters and, and under-the-table transactions of guys trying to put – extra money in people's pockets. Could this end up getting one-sided to uh, the big, big boys, Alabama, Clemson, really, you know, taking monopoly on, on what they're able to offer certain guys. I mean, this is going to be really interesting to follow the flip side and see if the corruption finds its way into this, which we know it will in some capacity. It's just a matter of how much is brought to the forefront. Yeah, uh, no, I totally agree with you. And here's the thing, right? Like if Alabama has to start paying their athletes, they will because they make so much money through football. So that means if they're paying all these guys this money, that means the wrestling program, the tennis program, all that kind of stuff that's generating $0 for them, it's gone. I think if they start paying uh, you know, athletes and they, they basically have to to survive, female sports will absolutely just disappear. And that's what I really, really don't want to see because – it means a lot to a lot of these kids. And do I think that they can just like, I think you can actually just become more lenient on these kinds of rules. Like there's like, Oh, you can't feed an athlete. Like that just doesn't make sense. Right. Like coaches can't go out and feed their, like the kids that basically they watch over and develop into young men. You know, I, everyone's, I think the reason that it's gotten so out of hand is just because there is like, it's too stringent. So if they can lax the rules on it, you know, maybe help out the, the kids' families with their mortgage or something. I don't know what it is, and hopefully the NCAA thinks this through. Uh, I don't think they will. I just think it's going to become a disaster. But for the you know for the time being, I think everything's great. Yeah, I, I completely agree. For the time being, this is a huge win for the athletes and uh, for everybody. Every college uh, teams, organizations, players, parents, fans, all like. Uh, Spence, to put a, a final topic on the show tonight, of course, the big story in the NBA Game 2 of the NBA Finals. The Phoenix Suns take a 2-0 series lead over the Milwaukee Bucks. They hold home court. They win tonight 118-108. Devin Booker had 31.6 assists and big shots. Sat out there the last 45 seconds or so of the game, and afterwards he said it was just they felt like they had the game in hand. 
and uh, was resting the body is it was really a starter heavy game on both sides. Spence is the starters mostly played on both sides, 35 plus minutes uh, off the bench for Milwaukee Portis, only playing five minutes. Pat Connaughton was the sixth man playing 34 minutes, uh, but 18 minutes from Cam Johnson was the most uh, minutes from a reserve for Phoenix. So look, they're going to have to really rest up for Sunday's game because everybody's playing big minutes. This is it. This is it. No more, no more series after this Spence and Phoenix took care of what they had to do led by Devin Booker. Mikael Bridges was fantastic with 27 points and the the Phoenix Suns held off late charges from the Milwaukee Bucks, a 7-0-8-0 run late. Phoenix hit big shots and ended up holding on for the victory. So of course, both teams have fought to get to this point. Phoenix had a little bit more rest coming into the finals, but it's all out now. Everybody's cards are on the table. It's win or go home. And the Phoenix Suns are two wins away from winning their first ever ever NBA title. They're going to have to go to Milwaukee and uh, try to steal a game or two in the Milwaukee Bucks looking to hold home court. And we'll find out that on Sunday. Chris Paul, it'll be his first ever title. And of course, Giannis for the Milwaukee side, his first ever championship if they can win, Spence. Yeah, uh, I was just going to quickly say. No, go ahead. It feels like this is the last chance. I mean, this is crazy. I mean, this doesn't make any sense, but for for uh, Phoenix, it feels like this is probably the last chance that they'll get considering just like just how much better the West is going to get next year and how much more healthy it's going to be. Like if Ka- if Kawhi and Paul George played in that series, I can't imagine that the Clippers weren't going to win the way that they were playing at that time, the way they were able to match up with them. Also, you know, it's just they were a couple like a half second tip in a way from really taking a stronghold in that series. So I feel confident about them. I feel pretty confident about the Lakers at some point. And then Golden State, considering what they can do and some of the assets that they have. Uh, and I think as Chris Paul gets older, look, like I said at the beginning of the show, the NBA is about opportunity. And Phoenix has capitalized 100,000% on that. So you can't take that away from them. But in future in future years, I can't imagine like like this same Phoenix team beating a full powered Nets team. I just don't even feel like it's a mat, like it wouldn't even exist. I I think they would just dominate. Like Kyrie and James Harden would just crucify Chris Paul on the defensive end. It would be so bad for them. Uh, and for Milwaukee, it also feels like uh, like it's just not. There's not a lot of opportunities the way that they you know the dice rolled for them. They beat they beat a bad Miami team that I just wasn't a big fan of going into the offseason. They barely beat the Brooklyn Nets and if they can barely beat the way that they are constructed at that point, they have no chance against Brooklyn in the future and it doesn't seem like that trio is going to go away anytime soon. So uh, and then it's just like Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, it, like those are their guys I and mean, they signed them to a max deal and then Drew Holiday they traded a, a truckload for. Now if it wins them an NBA title, who cares if they never go back to it again? but I think they need to realize what kind of opportunity they have this year because the one they have this season is not going to roll along like another time in the next 10 years, in my opinion. I couldn't agree more with that, Spence. One more story, Spence, we didn't have in the rundown, but kind of important in the sports world, uh, came out that the DeAndre Wilder-Tyson Fury 3 match set, I believe here in Las Vegas, is going to be postponed because Fury has tested positive for COVID and some people in his camp. Spence, how does this happen? I mean, with, with these pro athletes and in these situations, I mean, I know Chris Paul, he was the only M- NBA player to test positive. He he apparently was vaccinated. Uh, I'm just surprised we're at this point with professional athletes that uh, they haven't taken all the precautions to not have this happen, especially in a huge moment like this for Fury. Well, if there's anything that, that we know for sure is that celebrities don't view themselves on the same plane of existence as us. 
so when they get that rich and we treat them that differently, they think that no rules apply to them. <laughs> I always go back to this and I don't, I don't think I'll ever forget about it. Although Beckham says he can't get the vaccine simply because of his relationship. Like he doesn't vibe with the virus or something. It was something ridiculous like that. So clearly it's just gone straight to their head at that point. And uh, we, we were talking about this for the show. And I do think this is like a legitimate real concern, right? Because Chris Paul also got the virus and he missed a couple of games in this year's playoffs, but he was vaccinated. And now it's coming out that Pfizer wants to make a stronger dose. I got the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. It says I may have to get another dose. Like, uh, I, I don't know. It's just, it scares me to think that like, what is happening right now that like, they say, basically, they said there's no way. So it feels like they just straight up lied and said that if you get the vaccine, you're good. And obviously, the American life has gone back to normal, which I think is a great thing. But sure. at the same time, I mean, they have the gamma and the delta variant. It's like, we're we're all going to go insane at some point, like, you know, trying to keep up with all of this. We sure. need like one voice or one like direction to understand all of this. And, you know, obviously, we're just not going to get that because of the way that, you know, we've consume media and, and information so it's sad i don't know uh, hopefully he's going to be okay i think that's probably the most important part look the guy's cocky but at the same time i think he's a decent human being and i really wouldn't wish that upon anybody and i'm excited for the fight and i would really hope that it doesn't affect his performance whenever it is and i also hope i don't get reschedule the fight like right when he tests negative for the virus because i mean i can't imagine what, what that would do you know on a fighting ring like i want this to be delayed months because I do think this is an interesting boxing matchup. I, I agree. And Spence, uh, let's touch on the Olympics a little bit. Here in Las Vegas, the USA men's basketball team uh, practicing here in Las Vegas, getting ready for the Tokyo Olympics here. And, of course, there's been some Olympic news uh, in the sports uh, landscape here over the last week and a half. Uh, one that is most recent, uh, you just mentioned it to me, uh, no fans. For the Tokyo Olympics, that was something that was being discussed. We weren't 100% sure, but it looks like it's going to be uh, a for sure thing. No fans. So it's going to be unprecedented kind of in this Olympics 2021. But you mentioned a lot of these COVID variants. It's going to play a big role on why we won't have fans uh, participating in the Olympic action, which is very disappointing. And it's going to hurt the ratings viewership-wise also. Of course. And uh well, you know my opinion. I hate the Olympics. I don't think they should exist. I think they should completely disband them until they can figure out like the insane amount of corruption. And, and here's the reality of the situation. Uh, basically, Japan's vaccination rate, if the vaccine even is effective, who knows? But let's just say it is for the most part. And these have been outliers. 15%. So while Coca-Cola and Subway and McDonald's are, you know, getting all their endorsement money and they're spending all this money on commercials and stuff, the Japanese people will be suffering on the very outside of those walls. But I guarantee you, they won't mention that. And I guarantee you when they pan the camera around the city, it's going to look like this illustrious booming city. Tokyo is doing so great right now. Went right uh, right outside of that camera shot, there will be people like really struggling. And they're still recovering, by the way, from some disasters like tsunamis. And I think one of their nuclear plants had a meltdown. Like people are legitimately suffering over there. But it's OK because this sponsor like this segment is sponsored by McDonald's. Like that's just how I feel about the Olympics. It's kind of sad to have a world stage viewed by nobody in the world. Also, uh, just further defeats the purpose, I think, of having the Olympic Games it's a complete embarrassment on the world stage from all the major companies, our countries, I should say. Uh, but that's just my two angry cents about the Olympics. 
That's Spencer Ostrowski. Follow him on Twitter at Spencer the Wiz. I'm Brad Restituto at Brad the Believer. This is the Rest Stop. Make sure you check us out every Tuesday and Thursday, nine to ten o'clock Pacific time. Like and subscribe the YouTube channel at Brad the Believer, and follow us and like, subscribe Twitch.tv/slash Chris Landry Football. Any of the podcasting platforms, the audio version of the podcast, Landry Football Conference Call, the Rest Stop will be underneath there. For Spencer Ostrowski, I'm Brad Restituto. We'll check you back next week. Have a great weekend, everybody. Enjoy your sports. Take care.